Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on The Porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. I'm joined with the one and only J.D. Rogers. Hey, y'all. And Mrs. Laura Eldridge. How do you do? I took away your hey, y'all. I I took took your howdy do. I was wanting to see how you'd react. (laughs) You're trading. This is Uh out I um, also rode my horse here just for you, JD. Wow. Oh, you have a horse too. No, no, she does not have no. a horse. She has like plants. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, guys, fall is here. What are we talking <sighs> about? Yes. Uh, you know, we're going to start a little segment that we're going to be calling Politically Correct over the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, with the election coming up. I know that Watermark is heading in a, a we're t- heading towards an election series on the weekend services. And um, I think it's just a conversation that the church needs to have. We need to talk about it. And y'all know that we're not afraid to talk about hard things here on Views from the Porch. And as always, we love when you guys send in suggestions and uh, any things that you you know, might want to hear from us and our thoughts and what the Bible has to say about these things. So without further ado, our first one in the politically correct segment is about pro-life versus pro-choice, all things abortion. um, Is it right? Is it wrong? And I think before we do that, like David, what what would you say um, to the person already listening who might already be feeling um, guilt and shame, whether they uh, kind of gave someone advice to get an abortion or if they've had an abortion themselves, uh, what would you just go ahead and lead out and say there? Yeah. Um, and it's a great way to start JD of, as we cover any issue, we don't care about left versus right. We care about what the Bible says and, um, what the Bible says about life we'll get to, but, um, the Bible says that all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, uh, have made decisions that put Christ on the cross. There's no sin that is more weighty in an eternal sense and that they all require the death of Jesus. Right. And so you shouldn't walk in any shame. You have been made new. When God looks at you, he does not define you or see you through the lens and through the eyes of your past decisions and past sins, just like he does not with me. And so hopefully throughout this entire time, you hear us talking at a high level on politically correct, because I think we're going to go through several other different yeah, yeah, issues and topics. Yeah, let's do it. But on this one in particular, um, you hear us just covering, man, what's a Christian worldview? And we're not zooming in and trying to make someone feel shame yeah. as anybody can. When we talk about sex outside of marriage, all of us who had sex outside of marriage feel like, oh, we can be tempted to run towards shame. I would reject that. And um, you are not defined by that. And if that's a part of your story, God wants to use that yeah. as a part of your story. I believe it's one in four, one in five girl or women have been a part of abortion, which means one in four, one in five men have been a part of an abortion mm. and um, been connected to that. So as we venture into this, uh, just we want to start by being really sensitive to that. Yeah, up front. that's good. And uh, so I think while we're starting off with this one, you know, the recent uh, death of RBG, and all that she stood for has yeah. just brought up a lot of different uh, thoughts, opinions on social media. Um, a lot of people are showing a lot of gratitude mm-hmm. for what she has done for women in our country. Um, she was a leading voice in women's rights and equality and uh, did some amazing things. Mm-hmm. And uh, But also, I think the conversation around abortion has really surfaced recently because of what she also did for the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. And so... Pro-choice movement. Pro-choice, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, David, what would you just say 
first off, um, just give some context to how pro-life versus pro-choice, Roe versus Wade, Planned Parenthood, like just give some context to the whole situation and it becoming legal in America, all the things. Yeah. So uh, you brought up RBG, who did some tremendous things as it relates to, uh, as I understand it, the advancement of women and, and entering into the workplace and broke some significant barriers in the 70s, maybe in the 60s, and just was a public servant that should be celebrated. Anybody who gives their life to um, serving uh, their nation, even if they weren't a believer, which she was not, um, there's something we want to be willing to celebrate something positive there and not just, uh, just you know, throw shade because of that one decision or because she wasn't a believer. Despite having done those things, there's also been contributions that she in particular um, was a part of in terms of the pro-choice, people would say it, or the advancement of reproductive rights, which I want to talk even about terminology because that's an area I think that we've lost this battleground. Right. Um, where it's even framed like that. A simple way to say it is, man, she was a part of securing and enduring abortion and continuing that forward. And, um, and so backing up, you asked, hey, Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade was something that happened in Dallas, Texas. I've been in actual, in the courtroom that it took place in. And because a Watermark member actually now runs it, knows it. Wow. Pretty crazy. So anyways, that took place in 1973. And that was a, to give people reference, that basically drove up to the Supreme Court where Jane Roe, kind of like John Doe, was uh, wanting the right to have an abortion over her child. It got brought up all the way to the Supreme Court. It got interpreted, in my opinion, in a very unconstitutional way, and it legalized abortion across the board. Prior to that, it was a state-by-state -state basis and state-by-state -state case. But um, part of the reason there's so much energy on the Supreme Court is because the Supreme Court is playing a role today that the original founding fathers never intended it to play. In their mind, the fact that people even know RBG's name would have blown every category they have. Like, you guys know just how does anybody know? Because they weren't supposed to pass policy. They should not have uh, passed policy on marriage. That wasn't it. And I'm not even talking about the Bible. I'm talking about in the United States Constitution. It was set up that there's three branches of government. You guys familiar with it? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. There's president. Then there's the legislature. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. which is the Congress that has exactly. two two things to make it up: the House and the Senate. And then there's the executive branch, which yep. we already said the president. And then there's mm -hmm. the Supreme Court. And Congress passes the law. The president enforces the law and the Supreme Court interprets the law. It is not their job to pass new laws because more and more that has taken place. And candidly, because of the um, checks and balances system that has stopped up passing legislation because like the Democrats and the Republicans won't agree on passing a certain legislation, right or wrong. We're not even talking about in, in particular, but... But because it's gotten bottlenecked there, there's been a movement to drive things to the court. And that is where we will, mm. under the gaze or under the guise of interpreting, broaden really what this means. You don't find anything about same-sex marriage in the Constitution. You don't find anything about abortion. And I'm, now I'm not even talking as a, a Christian. I should qualify that. If you just said uh, we traveled back in time, it was never meant to function that way. If America... I'm not saying they should wanted to pass same sex marriage is now the law of the land that should have gone through Congress. Mm. That was the way they set everything up to work. And it went through Supreme Court and it went through the Supreme Court. There's been lots of occasions where that has happened, but that's why there's so much energy around and sadly, and it man, it'd be amazing to move back in the direction where, Hey, Congress is the ones that are passing laws, not the Supreme Court. But that's why there's so much energy on, Oh, a seat. A lot of Christians vote for a candidate simply based on justices. Yeah, have you heard that before? Now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, and, not really. Uh, 
and there are people who that is they went to the ballot in 2016 based on you know the justice which is really a breakdown of society so point being when it comes to abortion here's the key question every believer needs to ask what would god say about what's in that womb mm-hmm. and based on how you answer that based on what god would say and god's word says about what's in a woman's womb would determine how a christian should think about abortion not how they should think about everything, because a lot of people are going to go, oh, you're against abortion, but you just care about them while they're in the womb and you don't care about them once you get out of the womb, womb to tomb, right? Yeah, of course. That should inform how they think about everything from the moment that a child is conceived to the moment that they breathe their last breath. A Christian worldview should be one of consideration, of love, of compassion, of care. And um, I think the fundamental question that has to be asked as it relates to abortion, which is such a hot topic, is, is that a baby. Yeah. Which I think is, because if think, it is, yeah, then you're killing a baby in by terminology. If it is, even the language abortion is ticked in the direction of taming. Like it'd be really uncomfortable if you're like, Hey, and I'm talking to, uh, we need to outlaw killing babies. That would be really, people would be like, wow. Yeah. But abortion just rolls out the tongue. Like we don't even think about it because mm-hmm. we've lost the language game. In fact, we didn't call it abortion. We call it reproductive rights or women's mm-hmm. rights or healthcare mm-hmm. in a ways that I think, um, as a Christian, we just need to be thoughtful about what are we embracing from culture that is so, so, I mean, there is a, um, there are people who above everything else, they want to hold onto and fight for the right for a woman to have an abortion. And I get how they get there. As Christians, it feels unbiblical at best to hold a position that is fighting for the advancement of ending the life of a child in the womb. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 through 25, it says that the same penalty, that basically if you kill, if you bump it, I'll just read it. Hey, when men strive together and they hit a pregnant woman, so that, so hey, two guys, they're throwing hands, they get in a fist fight and they're stumbling around and they end up bumping into a pregnant woman so that the child comes out, but there's no harm. Then the one who hit her shall be fined as the woman's husband shall impose upon him. Basically, if we're wrestling together and my wife's pregnant and JD bumps over and he hits her in the stomach and the baby, uh, she goes into labor and the baby's fine, I will now put a fine on JD to make restoration and restitution. You guys following the verse? Exodus chapter 21. Is that how it works? It's what Exodus, Old Testament. Um, and, and then Jewish nation it did. We've covered OT and how to think through that. If- I guess I meant like labor, like punch the- But body. if there <laughs> is harm, then you shall, let me read- if there is harm, you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, if the baby dies, you die. That's not the law that we're not in a theocracy. We live in a democracy. We live in America. But it gives us a principle that in the Old Testament, God clearly saw, hey, that is a living child in the womb. If you do damage to a living child in the womb, whatever damage you've done will be repaid to you. I'm not advocating that that should be the stance that we have, but it clearly gives us how God thinks about what is inside of a mother's womb. Does that make sense? Yes, but you're already starting off by saying um, that we're talking about killing a children. And I think a lot of people are like, hey, but when does it become a child? Is that, is, what if I go and take the plan B pill the morning after? Is yeah. that a, ch- you know? Yeah. So I feel, I do feel like, um, in general, people think there's a difference in killing a kid in the third trimester and the third day. So help us understand, help everyone understand when does that actually become a child? Yeah, I think the most consistent thing, so um, like the plan B pill would, would not be a position that we would encourage somebody to take and somebody to do. 
And I recognize all of the different emotional responses and challenges of somebody who's afraid that they're pregnant could feel. It's not a surprise to me that they, that somebody in that moment, we can convince ourselves of anything. Um, we're going to get married. So let's have sex anyways. We can easily mentally convince ourselves of anything. It would be terrible to bring a child into this circumstance. I'm a, I'm a sophomore in college and um, I didn't even like this guy. It was a one night stand. I mean, that would be unloving. So I should take a plan B pill. So not even get lost on plan B or I should have an abortion because I found out that I'm pregnant now. So the most consistent thing I think scientifically is also what the Bible teaches, which is life begins at conception that God weaves together in every mother's womb, that child, he's the one, Psalm 139 says, fashioning it together. And that child is made in the image of God. And when you go back and here's where Roe v. Wade was crazy is, um, and we should talk about even explaining what Roe v. Wade is here in a second, because a lot of people think that is just outlawing abortion. That's not what it is. But when you think about 1973, there were no sonograms. People were not seeing a baby. When my wife and I had our kids, you go, you see their face, you see their nose, you see their eyelashes. They got fingerprints that are unique to them. And I'm not talking by like eight months, I'm talking eight weeks. They have a heartbeat that is beating uh, by six weeks old, if not earlier than that. They have unique DNA that is unique to them, that is different from their mother or their fathers. They have fingerprints that are different than any human on the planet. They have formed fingers and toes by eight weeks. They're bringing all of that together, their liver, their kidneys, everything's being developed. So uh, I think when you think about when does life begin scientifically, I think the best argument is at conception, which is what the Bible teaches. And so as it relates to, so Jeremiah 1, 5 says before that God formed in the womb, Jeremiah, that Psalm 139 says the exact same thing, that God is weaving and forming together. He knew you, he knew you as a person. Psalm 139 says, inside of your mother's womb. So biblically, that's why from a, and, and I'm trying to be sensitive because I know the pain attached to this issue. Mm -hmm. I know the challenges that are attached to this issue. I know the shame that is attached. And the biggest response people even now are thinking is, man, you guys are so loud about abortion, but you don't care about other needs and how they even got there and, and the you know, sex education that could lead. I care about all of that. But the question comes down to, and it's not, it's not that there are not more complexities to you know, society and individuals and life, but I think a question you have to start is, is it a human? Is it a person? If it's not, what is it? And when does it become a person? Because if the argument is, hey, it, it's based on the size of it, no one would say that a person is more a human than uh, a person is more a human today based on how big they are. Or my son, he's only three foot five. Like, is he less valuable or less of a human than me because of the size of it? So is size the, the way to think through that uh, is, um, does that make sense? Yeah. Like in other words, people are like, yeah. well, it's really, really, really small. Or is it the level of development? Is a person who hasn't gone through puberty because people go, well, they haven't even formed eyelashes. So that's when they're not a human yet. Is a person who hasn't gone through puberty, who hasn't developed hormones or armpit hair, are they less of a human than a person who has? So the level of development is not what matters an environment. Cause then they'd be like, well, as long as they're inside of the womb, it's their moms. It, it's not a person at all. They're basically an appendage of that person. Does environment determine whether someone is more valuable or not? Does the environment that they're in, in other words, if you could take that baby out and you could, he could live, which we allow abortions past the time of viability in America. 
It's crazy. Um, if you could take him out and he could live on his own, does that make him more valuable if he's just outside of the womb? Mm. So as you begin to think through, and then uh, degree of dependency would be the last one. And that's an acronym that somebody came up with called SLED, where it's like, hey, the degree to which you are dependent on somebody else. Would someone say that if a person, if I am on my way home tonight, I get in a car wreck and I get in a coma and I'm on life support, and the doctor's like, man, we hope he's gonna be okay. We think things are gonna be fine. We're not really sure. Does the doctor have the right to end the life of that child? Or does my wife or does somebody, you know, that is connected and, and connected to me have the right to end that life because they're dependent? Do we, do we cease being dependent? Or I'm sorry, do we cease being a human because we're dependent on something? And if you are dependent on, um, what do you take uh, for diabetes? Insulin. Insulin. If, I mean, where does that break down? So I, truly, I think this argument is an emotional one it is a um, one that is not crazy to me how people could hold the fact that no, women's rights and I would never have one, but I think it's okay. Um, I think we are overlooking, in my opinion, the greatest tragedy in American history that I would say it is right there next to slavery where we made the same arguments where we said it's not a human. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we're gonna have to give an account to God for that. And that my heart breaks. And I think in 200 years, they're gonna look back and go, you guys killed 60? million people, more people die from abortion every year than any other cause of death. And, um, and we should fight to care for people outside of the womb. We should fight to eradicate poverty and the church should fight to eradicate poverty and care for people. But, but this is a huge issue that um, I, I think we're not being vocal enough. Do you know who William Wilberforce is? No. He was a guy in England who, because he was a Christian, stood up and said, slavery needs to end. He led the abolition because he came to Christ and he stood up and said, this has to end. It's wrong. And it was his Christian faith that drove him. And, um, and I'm hoping we're going to have more of those moments. And the good news is I think a lot of the country, the perspective on abortion is changing. Yeah. So real quick, what would you say to the person who's like, okay, I hear you, David, that we should all value life. But I feel like in you um, saying that everyone across the board should choose that baby's life, what if I'm pregnant and I feel like my life's about to get ruined? Like I am either in high school or college and have a future ahead of me, have a career ahead of me, or I have relationships or my parents, you know, whatever the situation is. Are you telling me that I should value that kid's life more than my own and that um, no matter the situation— if I've gotten, if I've been raped and I'm going to look at that child every single day and, and experience trauma and PTSD, are you saying that, um, I need to choose life and value that other kid's life, that kid's life more than my own? This is a high level discussion. Not how, not the first conversation I would have with somebody who just found out that they're pregnant and they're weighing through those options. So that person I'm, I'm praying, talking with, I'm pointing her to, Hey, support opportunities and resources and care. I'm giving her money out of my pocket yeah. to help make medical bills paid. So that's not, okay. this is more of a high level, um, just talking about this issue. I would say if it's a life, then you're valuing your convenience mm. more than you are that person or a life. And um, there are so many people who are waiting to adopt around the country. The adoption system, in my opinion, needs to change, connected to this, because we've got to make it easier, especially for Christian families, for people to not wait two years to adopt, where they're sitting there and it costs $30,000 to adopt a child, when there's so many people waiting to 
adopt a child, if you guys know anybody who's been through that process and, um, and people don't feel like, man, I could and should carry this to full term. And I know so many women who have made the hard decision. I got pregnant. It was a mistake, but I'm not going to make another wrong. Uh, two wrongs are not going to make a right. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to give it up for adoption. And you inspire me. You are my hero. I'm so proud of you, um, especially the ones in this church and that are followers of Jesus who do that because they know and they believe this is what God's word says. And so what about the person right now who's like, yeah, um, all of that's good in theory, adoption, all of that. But if you actually look at the numbers, uh, there's not enough government assistance in the foster care system. And a lot of these children end up getting lost in the system, um, which uh, end up somehow end up in human trafficking. They end up becoming, um, they don't go to college, they get lost. And their, their quality of life is actually awful and no one sees them. They're abandoned. They're hopeless. Why would we only add fuel to the fire of that problem? Yeah. Um, so think about that argument, though. Would anyone, I think we would all agree. I don't know anyone who would say, um, uh, let's say my, I have a two-year-old daughter. Let's say I die tomorrow. My wife is all alone. She's left by herself. And um, she has a two-year-old. Let's say we just have one kid at that point. Or how many kids? It doesn't really matter. And she's like, I don't know how I'm going to provide for myself. And then all of her family dies. Everybody around her is dead. And she walks down the street. She gets injected. You know, she gets uh, with meth that she didn't want to be a part of or some sort of addiction forms. And she's like, man, this life is terrible. I'm going to bring this child into such a horrible, or I've brought this child into a horrible environment. I am within reason to end the life of this two-year-old child. No one would agree that that's an okay thing, right? Right. Would anyone agree that it's a one-year-old thing? Or if it was, if no. my daughter was one? Would anyone agree if it was six months? No. no, legally, the United States would put you in jail if you do that. I'm saying just because of the outcome or the circumstances, we're fooling ourselves if we tell ourselves it's okay. I'm rationalizing ending a life based on what I'm afraid I potentially would be bringing them into. And again, give them up for adoption would be mm -hmm. after a long conversation in a, in a way that I want to be thoughtful and considerate and caring. We're not talking like we're talking across the table from somebody mm -hmm. in a really hard spot. We're just saying there are other decisions. So we're uh, pro-choice in that, man, you have a choice to carry that baby to full term and give it up for adoption, or you have a choice to be the parent of that child for the rest of their life. God's not done with you. And you have a choice not to have sex. There's choices all along the way. We just are not advocating that the state legislate and encourage making that choice. And, um, and ultimately, the biggest solution for abortion, turning over Roe v. Wade, which I hope happens, is not going to stop abortion. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't legislate the human heart and you can't legislate um, uh, people having a value on life. But as Christians, I think we've got to call one another towards we value life because God gave his life for every person in the womb and every person, you know, in second Samuel chapter 11, David talks about when his wife miscarried and he says something that's really, really interesting. It could lead us to, you know, a podcast on the age of accountability. You guys know what I'm going to say? No. He talks about how he got Bathsheba pregnant. Mm -hmm. Talk about a, a poor circumstance. He, um, Bathsheba was a wife of another man. David got her pregnant and, um, and not to go into the, all the ins and outs of what happened there. 
But the baby, she had a miscarriage. And uh, at some point the baby died. And David says, I can't go to him. I'm sorry. He can't come back to me, but one day I will go and be with him as though he believes that child, even though it was miscarried along the way Mm -hmm. is right now in heaven. It's where it it reads that, Hey, someday I will go to him. He can't come to me right now. And um, so every child is somebody that was made in the image of God. Genesis chapter one, verse 28 says, it's somebody that God gave his life on the cross for and somebody who really, really matters. Now, I wish I had another 20 minutes to go through how we can care and be careful or be caring towards all of the afterbirth because that's where people, you know, immediately start throwing stones. And, um, and I think every church in America should do everything that they can to care for the community and the people that are around them to care for their, the members who make up their body and to care for the, the, um, uh, under privileged or um, socioeconomic challenges wherever they're at. And I can't speak your every church, but I can't speak, there are a lot of churches like this one where they are, they are um, doing everything that they can to care for moms, to come alongside, who we've even said, man, if you, bring, if you will keep the baby, bring the baby here, we will take your baby. Yeah. There's people in the body that will pay for you to have the baby. Not, not pay you to have a baby, but they'll cover the medical bills. Yeah. And I think Christians have got to, do both of those, be loud about both of, both of those things. And um, so. Well, I think it's time to start wrapping up. I I, I just want to say um, you basically equi- made the equivalent of like abortion is equal to murder. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? I would say that the ending of a life is ending of a life. And the shame that comes, because this is where I, my frustration is not at the mom who made that decision, mm-hmm. candidly. It gets more at the culture that created an environment that put that carrot out in front of them mm-hmm. and encouraged them to make that decision. It even celebrated making that decisions. I mean, there's, there's celebrities in Hollywood who are like, I had ex-abortions. I wish I had more. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would be, I would say in a legal sense, biblically, it's an ending of a life. It's the ending of a life. So yeah. I know that I know that is um, almost a loaded word to say, did you just say it is murder? Biblically, I think that's what we're told. Yeah. And so I'm just thinking about the person who is like, I either uh, maybe encouraged or I've, I have then maybe receiving right now that I've committed murder. Yeah. Or I've been a part of murder in some way, shape or form. And how do you come out of that? Like, how do you, how do you get to live a life? if you feel like you've taken a life. Yeah. Um, like how do you deserve to live? Yeah, you know, I had somebody write me this week and they said, um, they were talking about abortion. They work at a, a, a clinic, pro-life clinic to like help women. And they said, man, I wish people could see what I see every week where um, I've just seen firsthand the impact that abortion has had on them. And she said a line that it's, I don't think is biblical, but at least was powerful. She said, people don't get, and cause she used to work in the clinic and now she doesn't, Jesus has got a hold of her life. She says, every time an abortion happens, two souls die. Mm-hmm. And she meant that a hey, one person dies and then the woman carries that for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, which further emphasizes how I, I hate the way that culture has um, in an uncaring way allowed people to walk through that. But the good news is as Christians, we know that our God is the God who transforms lives, who saves sinners, who all of us um, are just as guilty regardless of whether we've had an abortion or not. And, um, and even people who have outright 
committed legally murder in terms of the United States, we would say that's murder, are some of the people who wrote books of the Bible. The Apostle Paul mm-hmm. was somebody who committed murder. David, King David, mm-hmm. was a guy who had that Bathsheba's husband killed. That's murder. I mean, we think of these guys as like these perfect saints that never did anything wrong. They just sat around and just prayed to God. No, dude, they had some scars and they made some really, these were men that were not perfect. Yeah. And um, and so nobody is listening here that out sins uh, anybody in terms of like all of our sin is worth, uh, you know, eternal debt to God or all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But man, God can use anybody and he can use your story. And if you've trusted in Christ, you don't need to carry shame for that. Um, you don't need to walk in, in guilt for that. And, um, and you can use your story to share and impact other women who've never shared their story with anybody yeah. and, and experience the healing that goes through. So hopefully you have a local church where you can go through, we've got ministries here that are devoted to just come alongside and walk um, through healing from that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and God can rewrite and restore uh, all the ways that that's impacted you. That's yeah. good. Yeah, and it, if anyone here is part of, like that's part of your story right now, you're thinking about that, email us, info at theporch.live. We would love to connect with you, point you to some resources, have that conversation. And um, if you're even live processing with a friend, the easy thing to do is to just to just uh, say what feels comfortable in the moment and encourage them. But you as a believer, as a Christian, have a voice that matters. And if you agree with the things that David is saying here and believe that God values life and it matters in the womb, then I would say in your circle, you need to speak up lovingly to your friends. It might be the best thing that you could do for them if they're considering abortion. Totally, and be equipped on it and, and have thought through it. So yeah. anyways, hey, if there's any way that we can serve you or if you are in that place, man, I hope you hear us. God is not done. You are loved. You're not defined by that any more than all of the sin. Just, just as bad, if not worse in my life. I'm sure it's worse. Um, it, it doesn't define you. Jesus does because of what he did on the cross. And, um, and God will work and is working all things together for good of those who love him. So we love you. We hope you know that. And um, David, would you mind just, uh, let's just wrap up with praying. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for this to actually take any change, like for us to actually see true change, it's, it's just got to have to be um, the grace of God. And so yeah. do you mind just wrapping this one up with a prayer for our friends and for anyone listening? Yeah, Father, thank you for just the, um, the gift of grace that you take sinners like me and Laura and JD and anyone listening and you um, allow us to not be defined or called by sinner, but you call us by our name. That there's an enemy who calls us by our sin, but you call us by our name and you called us to you and through Christ and your death on the cross and resurrection, we are defined solely by what Jesus did. You made him, Second Corinthians 5 says, who knew no sin to be sin, to become it, for you and me so that we could become the righteousness of God. So I pray anyone who's walked through that or been a part of that, that um, encouraged their girlfriend to make that decision or anyone who made that decision, that your grace would rush in and you would um, bring healing about and that their story would not be one that they walk in shame, but of, um, of victory, that it doesn't define them. And we do pray that you would end abortion in our generation and do so by capturing people's hearts mm-hmm. and the body of Christ all throughout our country would stand and fight for life in the very beginning in the womb all the way to the tomb help us to be your people and to do that well to fight that well to engage in loving conversations and um and thank you most of all for jesus who gave his life so that we could have life so we love you amen amen all right well that is it if you have questions as always email us at info at the we'll see you next week for another episode of views from the porch 
We want to thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.